HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This program has been brought to you by Cider Week New York City, happening November 6th through 15th, 2015. For more information, check out ciderweeknyc.com. I'm Linda Palaccio, host of A Taste of the Past. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Welcome to Feast Your Ears. I'm Harry Rosenblum from the Brooklyn Kitchen, cooking store located at 100 Frost Street in Williamsburg, Brooklyn. Join me every Wednesday as I talk with people about what they do and how it influences their personal food stories. This is a show about people, life, and food. You can find Feast Your Ears as well as lots of other great shows at heritageradionetwork.org and on iTunes. Follow me on Instagram and Twitter at Feast Your Ears. Today in the studio with me is Franco Lanya. Franco grew up in suburban New Jersey uh, and discovered his love of cooking uh, when he got out of high school. Culinary training in London and Italy followed. He went on to cook in Miami and a bunch of other places on cruise ships, which we'll talk about coming up here, uh, and then returned to the New York metro area. He now cooks for events and has started his own line of products using Minnesota wild rice. Uh, he's working on a book. Uh, I'm sure I've missed some details, but welcome, Franco, to Feast Your Ears. Thank you, Harry. Glad to be here. Um, can you introduce yourself? Uh, what you know, if, if you meet somebody in a, an airport and you say, uh, you know, and they say, "What do you do?" What do you tell them? I say, "Hi, my name is Franco, and I'm a chef." Awesome. And so you, uh, you know, on, I, I did a little research uh, about you on your website, and right. it talks about how uh, you know when you got out of high school, uh, you sounds like you kind of uh, you know were kind of afloat, adrift a little bit, and didn't yeah. know what you wanted to do. I think most of us, uh, especially back in those days, we're talking now uh, 85, 86, 87. It was kind of a weird time uh, in the United States. And um, I don't know. I didn't really know. Like many kids at that point in their life, teenagers, say 19, 20, 21, 22-year-olds, I had no idea what I wanted to do with my life. Food was the farthest thing from my mind. And I I spent 20-plus years now cooking. Hmm. But um, back in those days when you're making those pinnacle choices as to what you want to do with your life, food wasn't even a thought or a conversation in my house or my family. And I was studying to be a social worker, actually. And I was, you know, a sociology major at a college uh, in New Jersey called Kane College. And I picked up a part-time job because my parents pretty much wanted me to have something to do after school besides hang around and possibly uh, go adrift and get more adrift. So uh, I picked up a part-time job at at a uh, uh, gourmet grocery store, so to speak, called King Supermarkets in New Jersey. They're pretty well known in, in the New York, New Jersey area. And I 
pretty much well, you know, went in there with no anticipations of ever turning my life into food just to make some money, car money, gas money, that kind of stuff. And um, the food just blew my mind. It, I, it drew me in. I wanted to learn and, 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 and learn and learn and learn about all the things I was serving people. Hmm. You know, even from the, 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 the smoked different salmons to the caviars to the simple potato salads, everything in those days was made in Kings. Oh, that's great. They had chefs from CIA and so on and so forth. And I got under their wing and I changed my focus big time. Oh, that's great. Did you? Uh, was there a lot of cooking in your house when you were growing up? Um, I come from an Italian American household. I mean, it wasn't like c- cooking. I wouldn't say was the pinnacle of everything. My parents kind of got divorced when I was about thirteen, fourteen years old. So uh, food was more of just something to eat. Right. <laughs> it wasn't really like mom wasn't sitting home making elaborate meals for us when we came home. Though she did make dinner every night, and I, God bless her, she did well. But yeah. it wasn't a big deal like you would think for. Uh, Italians and all that kind of stuff. We had definitely pasta and gravy and meatballs and all that stuff every Sunday. Sure. Uh, but uh, it wasn't really like a, a very center focus at all, no. Uh, speaking of food, here's, oh my a, here's the pizza that we ordered. We were sitting here, sitting here at Roberta's and this, coming through, and you said, oh, look at the pizza. I wasn't going to – you said you weren't going to have any. This but, pizza's you know. looking delicious. I'm, I'm, while you talk, I'm going to take a picture. <laughs> so, we, so we did just get that delivered. Thanks, Jack. Thank uh, you, Jack. Just brought that, brought that in for us. Delicious. So you went to, uh, you went to culinary school uh, and then uh, – in a couple different places, right? You did some some time in London and time yeah, in Italy. Yeah, I, I actually uh, because I flipped my career and I and um, I was trying to really really right now I'm speaking to people that are really uh, stuck someplace in their life. Like if you're not sure what you want to do with your life, I'm sure if everyone's been there. You're looking at a Y in the road or several roads ahead of you, and you don't know what career to choose or if you want to change your job or your career. That's exactly where I was at. I had no idea what I was heading into when I was going to be a chef. There was no one in my life, no one in my family, no one, no friend, anything. So I went to a local community college, which um, my parents, again, did not want me to do. They want me to continue to, to become a, a social worker and maybe do food as like a hobby. And I went to a local community college in Jersey City, New Jersey. It's like a stone's throw right from here. And I graduated with a two-year degree in culinary arts, like an associate's degree. And from there, I bounced to London, the Cordon Bleu, which was a fantastic experience. I lived there, and I worked in the Dorchester Hotel and some little French bistros down the Soho section of London. And um, I just knew once I got out of the United States and I got abroad that I got the travel bug. I'm just going to rock this thing. Like most young chefs, they want to pick up their knife kit and rock the world. I was the same. Yeah, I mean, it's a great way to get around, right? Right. You can always find a job. Yeah. Right. You don't really need to speak the language. As long as you can kind of follow what the food is and what the recipes are, what they're cooking, you can get by. Right. Sure. Uh, And eventually that led you to Miami, right? Well, I had a good friend when I was in London and I was running out of uh, time on my visa and all that stuff when you're young and you're traveling. You know, you squeeze the visa right to the last second and all that stuff. So I had like three days left on my visa and I had to get out of the, the country and either redo it all over again or whatever. And I had a good friend of mine from culinary school that was working down in London and studying at uh, Florida International University. I think that's up in Fort Lauderdale area. And um, he was living in Miami Beach. So I was not even home back in New Jersey for probably a month. And I was in an airplane flying down. I had never right been to, to the beach. Right. <laughs> I, I had, again, London to Miami is two different worlds. So you couldn't be completely you know, any more different, so to speak. So sure. I, I was never even in. I think it was in Orlando with my folks when I was like 12 to go to, you know, right before they got divorced to go to uh, or was Disneyland. That's all I knew of Florida. 
<laughs> so Miami Beach is much different than Orlando as well. Right. Yeah, I uh, I was in Miami during a hurricane once in the, in the 80s. I forget. I don't know which hurricane it was, but I was down there. We had family in the hospital down there, and so we, we went to see this family. We got stuck. Right. We got stuck because of this hurricane on Miami it, Beach. It gets was, pretty hairy. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, my my only my, the the food memories I have of Miami are a couple. I remember great Cuban food, definitely. Obviously. I remember the Cuban coffee. I was going to say a spoon I, and that stuff. I, so I'm sweet. still hooked on Cuban coffee. Yeah, I mean right. that's that was really best hangover cure I think yes. there is is that super sweet mm-hmm. Cuban coffee and of course Joe Stone crabs. I live the stones throw away from Joe Stone. That's pretty much where I spent ten years of my life. Yeah. And, uh, and and from cooking in Miami, you ended up on, on some cruise ships, right? I mean, there's obviously well, lots of cruises go in and out of Miami. I mean, so. Miami's one of the busiest uh, cruise ports in the United States. And when you live near Jonestown Crab House, it's only about three or four blocks to the inlet of where all the ships come in and out. So every morning, I mean, I'm a young guy. I'm like 24, 23, 25 years old. All this stuff is exciting and new, and you want to rock it. And, and these boats are, for a young guy, I mean, they're just... they pulled me in i just wanted to work on one of these cruise ships so bad i didn't even know how to begin and every time i would submit a resume or you know kind of like try and find a way to to, uh enter into the corporate to get into h&r and all that stuff it was almost impossible most of these uh cruise lines use like agencies Mm -hmm. and the agencies hire outside of the united states (laughs) so americans aren't really hired for the galley that would be the kitchen. Uh, I see. And and everyone told me I had so b- bottom line is to fast forward, I had one roommate, um I my roommate from New Jersey who was going to FIU and he was living with a guy who was a who was a waiter on a cruise line. And um he kept saying to me, They will never hire you, they don't hire Americans. All the years <laughs> I've worked on a cruise line, I've never saw an American in the kitchen. Um, it's all like Europeans. Uh, it, it, most likely, the, the guys who are chefs are, are Europeans, and the workers, the cooks, and all that are like Southeast Asians and stuff like that. You'll never get hired. And, and first of all, he's like, "Why would you ever want to do that?" And I'm like, "Because I want to. I want to see the world. I want to rock. I want to do. I want to cook. It's uh, it's just like a, like a macho thing to do, you know." And um, I basically called this bluff. I said, "I'm going to get a job on a cruise line. I'm, I'm going to drive down to the uh, the port." And I'm going to just kind of like see if I can, I had no clue, walk on one of these boats and ask to see the chef. Like I would walk in. Just like you would get a job in a restaurant. (laughs) And they marched me right back around and they said, you know, you're crazy. But if you can go, you can go into this building over here and you could probably talk. There was a building where there was a bunch of men and women outside with their suitcases and stuff. And I waited in line. It was like 100 degrees in Miami, sweating, sweating, sweating. I get into this. It was like a trailer, kind of like what we're sitting in, with a little air conditioner. And they were hiring new recruits. And these people were just new sign-ons to this huge cruise ship that was behind them. And the woman actually gave me the right time of day. And she asked me if I had pastry experience. I said, I just came back from London. And I worked in the Dorchester Hotel in the pastry kitchen. She said, do you have a resume? I handed her my resume. They got all kind of commotion. And she said, could you be a pastry chef? I said, definitely not. <laughs> I can assist a pastry chef, but I'm not going to tell you I could be the pastry chef. So she said, well, hold on. And fast forward, long story short, about four weeks later, I'm sailing off to the Caribbean on a cruise line. And uh, I've been bouncing on off cruise lines for 10 years from that. Yeah. And yeah. so uh, so how is that? You know, so you, so you end up on this giant boat. Giant boat. Right? The, the only American. They were right. Ah. There was no other American in the galley but me. It was 187 guys in the department, men and women. And I was the only guy from the United States, so that wow. was that was true. But you, but you proved your roommate wrong. <laughs> yeah, I proved them wrong, and he was pretty. He was pretty. Uh, 
in a way, he was pretty like happy because he thought that Americans should be on there. But then again, obviously, he owed me like a, a beers for the rest of my life or something. <laughs> so <laughs> he still owes me beer, probably, right? And right. so when, when you're when you're working on the ship, I mean, I've never been on a cruise myself. Have you been on a cruise as a passenger? I have. Yeah, it, it, it was weird. I didn't go on a cruise as a passenger until maybe five years after I kind of left, and I saw the other side of it. And I got to tell you, it's much nicer to be on the yeah. other side, for sure. I'm sure you can imagine. Right. Absolutely, absolutely. There's, right. a, uh, there's a David Foster Wallace essay called A Supposedly Fun Thing I'll Never Do Again. Mm. Uh, I don't know if you've read it. I have not, but it's, it's sounding interesting. It's, uh, it's about going on a cruise. Uh, he, he was, as I understand it, he was hired by a travel magazine to okay. write an article about going on a cruise. Oh, okay. And that was the article he submitted was about how, it, you know, it, uh, what a strange experience it was to be a passenger on a so cruise. So apparently he was not a fan no he didn't he didn't like it <laughs> and what cruise I, mean, I gotta say this just for all the listeners out there i mean the cruise industry is pretty uh uh sectioned off in terms of like levels like you have basic cruise lines you have party cruise lines then you have these super luxury cruise lines i mean the first cruise line i worked for would be like your i don't know kind of like average cruise line mostly family oriented so there's not much play with food there's not much action it's very rigid you know, in terms of the menus and things you're going to do. And are you just, I mean, are you generally, you're serving like cafeteria style, like those, three meals a day? Yes. And I was kind of disappointed too, because here I am coming from Michelin star Europe, but I'm landing in a, a, a thing where we're slopping stuff on a plate. And, you know, you, you didn't get to, it was more about the adventure and learning and working with different people from all over the world in a huge food preparation environment. I mean, it's a, I suggest everyone who's going to become a chef to spend at least six months on a cruise ship. Mm. You'll never complain when you come work in a little kitchen again. <laughs> You never, you really won't. You know, well, this doesn't work. It never works on a cruise ship. You'll, right. never, you'll never, by the time they fix the blender, you'll be retired. I mean, right. It doesn't, it right. Does, right. So that's my. And, uh, and, and uh, how does it, you know, the cruises, I mean, obviously the passengers only go out for like a week at a time. Do you get stationed as, a, as someone who works on the, on the ship for six months, a year? Like what, you know, what is the. What's the timeline? It, it, it's very rigid. It's always very like uh, military in terms of like status. So if you are considered to be an officer, you probably work three months and then you're off for four months and you have a much more nice, uh, a nicer uh, type of uh, working relationship with the cruise line. If you're a low man on the totem pole, which most g- kitchen galley people are, you know, they're coming and most of those guys don't even have much skill. They just want a job. So they say, okay, you can be a dishwasher. These people are really looking at me uh, to get to the, bo- the, the, the base, the brass tactics here. Most of those people come from those uh, uh, third world countries. They're just really trying to better their lives. Sure. You know, and they see this as a major opportunity. They're right. not looking to rock the world, cook all this great. They're, they're looking to like no, They're money. looking to make money, right? I yes. Mean, because you're there. Send money home. You're on the boat. You have a place to sleep. And right? food. And food. And you're safe. And you're, and you're getting paid. Right. Yeah. And they're trying to help their family, their children, their wives, their mothers back home. You know, it's a, it's a whole different thing. And, and, and they really work. I mean, without those guys, those ships wouldn't move. You know, so, I mean, you're talking nine hours, uh, sorry, eight months, you're talking 12, 13 hours a day, you're talking no days off for those guys. And, uh, you know, most of them do it with a smile. Right, right. You know, and did you ever get to get off the ship? Or are you just I, on the ship? The I was time? lucky. I, I was educated enough to where I, I was able to uh, finagle six and five month contracts. So I would get off. I made sure. And again, getting off the boat, the ship, we should say, they, they hate it when you call it a boat, the ship. <laughs> Well, they'll look at you funny. Um, the ship itself is kind of like, uh, you know, your home. So they really don't like the fact that the minute you pull into a port, you want to run away from your home and go see, you know, like the management, so to speak. They really would love you to hang a little bit and, and, and schmooze with the customer, the, the guest, not, not customers, the guests. And, um, you know, show some like, you know, 
the comfort, relaxation that you actually enjoy being on this boat, the ship, not run off and, and uh, you know become a tourist and make the thing hits. But I got off as much as I could, and um, I you know I, I saw a lot. I saw a good portion of the world. Yeah. Yeah. Did you uh, did you learn a lot from the folks working in the galley who were from other parts of the? From other parts of the I world. did because you, when, you, when you're working when you're working with these people uh, from all over the world, you start to uh, learn about their in terms of culinary uh, arts. You start to learn about you know what they like to eat and what they like to uh, you know celebrate with. Because if you're out uh, 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 on the ocean and you're you're working eight months, five months, seven months, whatever it is, you're going to start crossing into holidays and cultures that you don't even know exist. Right. Right. Yeah. So they're cooking stuff and it's like, you know, the Jamaicans are making this crazy oxtail with uh, celery root and all this stuff. And it's some sort of a holiday in Jamaica. And you have a good portion of the people on the, uh, the, the co-workers on the ship that are Jamaican. And you you learn, you talk or, or people from the Philippines or people from uh, South Africa, whatnot. Um, it's a terrific place to expand your palate and to talk with people, learn about their culture. So that that's the part that's really the, the perk yeah no that that sounds that sounds really yeah. sounds like a really great way to learn about all those cultures without having to travel to all the places right. not that traveling to those places wouldn't be great and get paid for it so, right <laughs> and then eventually you became uh the first american chef to be in charge of an italian restaurant right on a ship yes i which was a big deal uh uh for someone like me I mean, i'm an italian american so like for me i had to learn a lot of stuff like i said my house wasn't full of all this wonderful food it was just food to eat to then go do your homework or go whatever you're going to do at the end of the night after going to school all day, you know, those younger years. But uh, as I got older, I just educated myself, educated myself via, you know, the culinary arts, going to school, and then just learning, going out there in the world. I left my comfort zone like a million times to learn and stretch. And, uh, you know, being the only American, I met a lot of Italian guys, a lot of people from, from uh, you know, Southern Europe. That's the kind of food I really like to cook, that Mediterranean cuisine. So you can all day for six months, 13 hours a day, you can converse about mm-hmm. recipes and <laughs> You know, I've swapped more recipes than I can imagine, yeah. like in the middle of the Mediterranean Sea. So I came back and I, I came back to the United States and I went to further my education in Asti, Italy, a school called uh, the Culinary Institute of Foreigners in uh, Castiglioli di Asti. It's a little town uh, outside of the Asti producing area of Italy in the Piemonte region. I graduated with my Master Chef certification. When I came back to the United States, I uh, was able to enhance my career to the point where I would even be considered to be an Italian chef for a luxury cruise line. I mean, uh, the uh, the culinary director at the time was Jacques Papon, so it was pretty mm. serious. Yeah. And I, he was like an idol, so to work for him, it was like, you know, working for your your favorite rock star, your, you know, your favorite baseball player. I mean, right. It was like, wow, you know, and, and um, I watched this man cooking on TV since I was probably like 11 years old. My mother actually watched him. You yeah, know, my, my six-year-old daughter loves watching him. You know, so to work with him and even to, and to work – I mean, you don't see him much, but when I did see him, I did get to serve him. I did get – it was really a pleasure. And I realized, you know, I worked hard to get to this place because I had you know, no food in my life. I had to go find it. Right. You know, so uh, to, to get that job and to run that uh, department was really nice, yeah. That's awesome. Uh, we're going to take a short break. Franco and I are going to eat a piece of pizza. And uh, we'll hear from the sponsors. And when we come back, uh, we'll talk a little bit about your uh, Minnesota wild rice griddle cakes Excellent. that you brought us. Thanks. We'll go wild. And the break music today, courtesy of Keto. We will be right back.
Hello, I'm Alice Marcus Creek. And I'm Carmen DeVito. And we're the ladies of We, we Dig, Dig Plants. Plants. <laughs> and today we're asking you to dig deep into your pockets and help us grow this radio station and our podcast and everything that you know and love about us. How do you do it? You go to the heritageradionetwork.org website. You will see a beating heart. It's on every page. And you can give a dollar. You can give $5. You can give whatever. $500. $500. $5,000. Just click on the heart, donate, and help support the radio that you love. Cider Week helps to bring profitability to local orchards while reviving heirloom apple varieties by cultivating awareness of craft cider. Cider Week connects cider makers from New York State and select pioneering guest cideries outside the state to buyers from top restaurants, bars, and retail shops across New York City. Those culinary tastemakers, in turn, help increase consumer awareness of cider's pleasures by hosting public events, tastings, dinners, classes, and pairings that build appreciation and demand for regional ciders. Welcome back to Beast Your Ears. I'm Harry Rosenblum, and with me today is Franco Lanya, chef, author, uh, spent a lot of time on cruise ships. Uh, before the break, we were talking a lot about Franco's time on, uh, on cruise ships and how he became a, became a chef and where he studied. Um, I want to turn the, turn the conversation now um, to your products. Um, so okay. you went from New Jersey to becoming a master chef to running an Italian restaurant on a cruise line uh, to discovering Minnesota Wild rice. Uh, can, tell, can you tell us about the, mean, the product? To, you connected the dots pretty well. I mean, I mean, to connect the dots onto the product, um, I was a advisory board chef for one of the biggest uh, food companies in North America, and they were out of uh, Omaha, Nebraska. And um, for five years, I was going out there, and I built a lot of relationships, especially with the company. I like them; they like me very much, and they sent me uh, to Minnesota. In I think 2013 to headline a, a fall and holiday cooking show at the Swans Culinary Center, and it's like really the first big shindig for me. I mean, there was probably a thousand people in the audience, uh, chefs from all over, and I was supposed to be like the the headlining chef who's going to wow the audience with all this kind of you know fabulous culinary creations. And I did a pretty good job, if I do say so myself. And after the uh, show, the men in charge of the uh, the men and women in charge of the, sh- the, the the program invited me to have some Midwest fun. And for a guy who's coming from you know, New York, New Jersey area, I don't even know what that means. Midwest fun to them is to go shooting, to go, to a, bison, <laughs> to, go to a bison farm, to drink some beers, walk around, enjoy the, uh, the, the, the beautiful autumn they were having. And um, you know, that was their way to say thank you so much for, for rocking it out for us and doing such a nice job. It was a spur-of-the-moment thing for me. That was like the whole like, drum roll about it was like I was thrown into this thing like a week before the show. So I didn't have much time to think, prepare, what items am I going to cook, what am I going to say? So on and so forth. So um, I pulled it off, and we went around, uh, you know, the, the, the kind of local area in, um, in, in uh, Marshall, Minnesota, where the Schwanz Culinary Center is. And I was kind of like doing a lot of work for SMSU, um, giving lectures and talking to the students about being a chef and um, therapeutic cooking, because that's something I've also written about and talk about being a 9-11 survivor. And um, some of the people kind of knew me from that. So when I came for the show, that pulled them in. They wanted to see, well, now we can finally see this guy. And when they took me around, they took me to all the things that they thought that I would like to see, like a bison farm and, and things like that. 
and obviously going uh, hunting, not hunting, but shooting. It was like target shooting, and, and uh, we one of the fellas, uh, the bison farmers near the, the the target shooting place. So we're doing some clay shooting. We're having fun. Obviously, I'm a guy from New Jersey. I can't hit the broad side of a barn, <laughs> let, let alone a clay flying at like 50 miles an hour in the air. But these guys, you know, they're patient. They're showing me their teeth. Whatever. We had a really nice time. At the very end, they had like a club. It's like a lodge um, near, near the shooting club. It's called Shooters, if, 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 uh, of course. And um, they have like a little kitchen, and they invited some of the, the people from the town, the mayor and this and that. And this the guy from back east is going to cook them dinner. And uh, some of the, the people that own farms in the area were brought in kale, and they brought in pumpkin, and they brought in some of the bison. So we're making a big pit, and we're grilling and stuff and all this I'm in this little puny kitchen one of the fellas comes in big guy big cowboy hat he reaches above my head in the kitchen and he pulls out a big bag of wild rice now wild rice is the state grain for Minnesota so these people like you know they've had wild rice in every way right so he says can you do something with this it's been up there for a long time you <laughs> Nobody know wants none of us it. knows how to cook right. it we're, right. we, we, we're, we've had enough we're hoping you'd bring something Italian from back you know east and I'm like, oh, okay, you know, I don't want to disappoint. I'll think of something. And when he left, I Googled myself on my phone. I have like one bar because we're in the middle of nowhere uh, in, in this like farmland. And I do a risotto griddle cake. So I tweaked it and uh, incorporated the Minnesota wild rice. And then I kind of dumbed down the Italian flavors and made it more for like, say, the, the average American palate. And I made these now wild rice griddle cakes on the spot and um, I cook them up and I put them out and then I figured it's going to go really nice with the bison and the kale and the pumpkin the fall the whole spiel I throw it out there and um, these guys devour it. They, they devour because wild rice is something they wanted to try different because something they get all the time sure and uh, one of these fellows came back, the same guy that, that handed me the wild rice, and he uh, had said, uh, you know, you really should think about boxing this. Now, at first I thought he was joking because, you know, are you serious? He's like, no, I'm dead serious. And he hands me his card. He works for one of the biggest supermarket chains in the Midwest. He's like a director of, of a certain area in Nebraska. And, um, you know, he thought that this is something I should really contemplate. Lo and behold, I ran home, I formulated it, I uh, did research on uh, wild rice. It's a great source of iron, protein, fiber, antioxidants. I mean, um, I can't speak more highly about it. It's an all-American ancient grain. The rice isn't coming from outside the country. Right. Um, it's keeping jobs in the USA. I get it packaged and boxed in uh, Lancaster uh, because the flour inside of here, I, I found a nice Miller PA dry mix uh, in, uh, in Pennsylvania that actually makes it for me. So it's an all-American product as well. And... Um, I just ran with it, and uh, we did really well. It, it, it got received well in the Midwest, and we just started creeping this way, Pennsylvania, and we even made it out onto Long Island. So we're at the Wild by Nature stores in Long Island, which is really nice. Oh, that's great! And and we'll definitely I'm going to take this box back, and we'll we'll test it out at the Brooklyn Kitchen, and, and maybe we'll be know, there. Perhaps perhaps we'll bring it in there as well. I'll come and do demos for you if you want. That'd be great. No, I mean it. You know, it looks it looks great. Um, I'm really excited to I'm excited to try it out. Thank you. See what my see what my six year old says about it. She's gonna, children love it. I'm I'm sure they really do. Yeah, it looks uh, it looks awesome. And and do you have any? Are you expanding the line of product? I'm right? going to be expanding. Thank you for asking. That. I'm going to be uh, within like I'd say the next two months. I'll have a gluten free version of this. So it, I had to reform, go back to the drawing board, reformulate, reformulate the box design, everything. And uh, the gluten free version, I, I'll say after Christmas, will be out in the market. I'm already getting pre orders for this. Are stuff. you using a gluten free flour then? Gluten free flour, specifically milled by uh, an Amish fella out in Lancaster. He has a phenomenal flour. It's much higher in protein and all kinds of uh, nutrients than, say, your average uh, uh, gluten-free flour. He does a really nice. So you pay a little more, but you get more. Taste is way better. 
Uh, as a chef, I don't want to put out something that tastes like cardboard. I mean, I'd rather just not. So um, my thing is all about it has to taste good I, before I even think about putting it out to the market. And then from that, we're going to move into gluten-free pasta. Oh, with the same flour. Same flour, but we got to tweak it with this, that, and the other thing. But the base is the same. Hmm. And we're going to do a gluten-free pasta line. So, um, And that'll be a dried pasta? Yes. like, like nice. Kind of like long fettuccine, so to speak. We'll start with that. Great. See where it goes. That's, that's the, I look forward to trying those products as well. It Excellent. Sounds really, it sounds really cool. Um, you mentioned uh, therapeutic cooking, and you mentioned uh, you mentioned nine eleven, um, right? Which, you know, I was in the city for as well, and um, you know, I don't want to, I don't mean to take the interview into no. you know to be a downer, but no, I think that, okay. that these things are important to talk about. And you know, nine eleven was a huge, um, huge event uh, in in New York City, uh, in this country, uh, in in history. Um, I definitely feel like it's the you know it's the thing that I will tell my grandchildren about definitely. having having been present for it. Um, so can you talk a little bit about, about where you were and what happened and how that affected your, your work as a chef? Uh, yeah, I mean, like, people that know me or follow me kind of know the story. The most, most of the listeners out there probably won't. But, um, I mean, I was at that point in my life where I was going for, say, um, a change in my career. I didn't want to leave my career. I wanted, like, more, like somebody going back for their master's or going for their doctorate. I was at that point where it was time to go back to school or possibly, like, get out of the kitchen, go more into management or whatnot. I had got married, uh, or the child's on the way, the whole thing. So it was time to like find a way to make more money at this craft. And um, I went back to school, like I had mentioned. I went to uh, Italy, and I graduated. I wound up working in Michelin star restaurants in Milan and all that stuff. And I came back to the United States when, when it was time to come back, and I landed in uh, uh, New York, I think probably like two months before I got this job. So I was two months looking for a job and um, I was picked up by the BR Guest Restaurant Group in New York City. They own sure. many, I'm sure many of you guys know them. They had Fiamma at the time. Um, the Blue Water Grill is one of their well-known places. They have many restaurants in there. So I was, I came in for an interview. I, I cooked for the chefs and the corporate chefs. I had just come from Italy. So Italian cuisine was on the finger, my fingertips, doing it all day. And I landed the job. I mean, by the minute I finished the uh, demo and uh, not the demo the uh, the cooking uh, uh kind of like a i would say like a class whatever to, to, to show them what i could do um they hired me which was great because now it's like a first real job benefits uh, all that kind of stuff for sure. stability <laughs> stability normal this is exactly what i went away for to come yeah. back you know, the whole thing is like wow you know this this like planning your life actually works <laughs> you know <laughs> shooting from the hip all the time and and um i got the job great and i went home to tell everyone i, I received this great job nice salary benefits the whole thing when i got home because in those days we didn't really do the cell phone i was back to the old answering machine or my, my answer machine looked like i had a message i played it. it's the guys from the corporate office be our guest saying you know congratulations whatever but we reviewed your paperwork and your department of health and mental hygiene certificate basically your food handler certificate for new york city has expired while you were in europe you'll have to retake the test no big deal company's going to pay for the uh the classes we'll give you the book we'll give you the refresher course and um yada 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 and you'll you'll be lined up to go take this uh you know test someplace near where you live there's three places in manhattan one was in the bronx one was in midtown and one was like in downtown in the world trade center i lived in jersey city so i was one stop away from the world trade center right on the path train i chose there obviously of all the days i was uh scheduled to show up at the world trade center on 9-11 
obviously not knowing. No one knew what was going to happen. No. It was a gorgeous, beautiful day. I, I, I'm, it certainly was. You know, riding high, thinking everything's cool. Like class starts at nine o'clock. Like a good student, I get there like eight thirty. <laughs> I sit down. I'm waiting for some other colleagues to come in to kind of like talk and you know refresh what what, what this whole test is going to be about. And um, I mean, not to go into the, the details or everything. Everyone yeah. knows what. It, yeah. Boom, you know. And uh, brutal. It took me 13 hours to probably go two miles to get home. I mean, I was trapped, and yeah. I saw a lot of stuff that was just I'm sure you can imagine. Yeah. And from that, I kind of went into it everyone has those moments in their life where sometimes things are riding high and for some apparent reason everything just goes wrong and it went right from so right to so wrong in like a matter of a week i wound up finally breaking up with a, a marriage that really wasn't that great um the whole thing it just and and, and and my life spiraled down 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 and i gave up all aspirations here's a guy who rocked his whole life for cooking and there was nothing that i even thought about other than not wanting to cook anymore I slept in cookbooks. I stepped over cookbooks. I had recipes, notebooks, every place. I had bags full of pictures. I was the typical want to rock it out culinary guy that you see today. That they're all over TV and doing all that. That was my world. I mean, and it just all went poof. It went away. And to come back, to fast forward this deck, to come back, I started to realize that you know what was the real reason why I ever went to cooking in the first place. And I went to it because it inspired me, it enlivened me, it made me happy, it made me feel good. That was the bottom of my feel good. I wasn't feeling good. And I started to approach food just from that very uh, beginning point, you know, the grassroots of why I ever went to go cook. I didn't go to cook to become a rock star. I, you know, I didn't go to cook to, to be the next Iron Chef. I didn't go to, I went to cook because it just made me feel damn good and I loved it. Yeah. Like, you know, and, and if all that stuff happened, great, but if I didn't, I didn't care. And I started to bring myself back through these, like, reconnecting with the stove, looking at it as, like, like an old friend, therefore, that was willing to give me, like, say, a warm embrace every time I approached it. Like, you can do this reassurance because my life unraveled. And to, to get back together again or to orchestrate a plan or a way out, you need to get nutrients. You can't walk around smoking cigarettes, drinking orange soda, and eating pizza all day like I was doing because your, your life kind of implodes. And, you know, and then it's always, woe is me, woe me. Yep. You go more, so to bounce back, I used this kind of a mentality. And from that, um, people around me started to say, you know, this could be really something for other people. You know, cause I, as I'm working, I'm taught, you know, so you should write a book. You should write, everyone tell me I should write a book. You know, I mean, again, this is what I had no idea. I uh, even had to begin to write a book and make a long story short. This is when I went on the cruise line. I, I started to pull myself together. I got that Italian chef job. I went from like the floor to like now being like the Italian chef of a luxury cruise line. And um, I used to come down into my cabin at night while everyone's running around partying because, you know, cruise lines are a big party atmosphere behind, behind the scenes. I'm sure everyone knows that. Sure. You know, and um, I'm done. I was just done with all the partying. I've done plenty of that in my life and I was over it. So so I would go back to my room at night, grab myself an orange soda, unfortunately, my pack <laughs> of cigarettes, throw them on my thing. And um, I would sit there and write until like two o'clock in the morning and pass out, work all day. At the end of six months, I had like a hundred and something thousand words. Which I turned into this book, uh, and um, hopefully, I say within the next six months or so, I can get it out there. I have a, an agent here in Manhattan shopping it around. So that's right. And the, and the book is the book is about this idea of cooking being able to inspire and be a therapeutic action so, for right? yourself. So yeah. basically, using certain aspects of a recipe to draw you into the recipe, like the sautéing, the roasting, the frying, the chopping, even the washing. It's a very uh, 
fundamental way to look at food. But if you look at it with an open mindset and, you, and you're looking for reassurance, at the end of the recipe, you've created something that most likely you never even would have attempted to do. Right. I mean, but you're not feeling right. You don't feel good. The last thing you want to do is even walk around a grocery store and go shopping. So I'm talking simple stuff. Go in, grab a chicken breast, an onion, a stick of butter, and an olive, uh, a jug of olive oil, and head out. It's, I mean, you don't need to go run around looking for a fancy list of recipes. Sure, and, and the thing that's so great about that and about, you know, we, we do 50 cooking classes a month at the Brooklyn Kitchen. And, oh, cool. And, and the thing is that it really, you know, inspiring people in that way to understand that they can do this. Right. Um, especially, I mean, you know, and, and I'm not talking about people who necessarily are in this sort of depressive mode and, you know, right. all down all the time. But, but the idea that, you know, the thing that's so great about it, and it's the reason, one of the reasons I love to cook, is that you get to make something with your hands yes. that's delicious, right? And, and you get to share it with other other people and watch them smile exactly well that's what also starts to wake you up again and then also on the flip side of this cooking also is a great way to to, to celebrate so to get out of a, a difficult moment it's awesome but also to celebrate the fact that maybe you did get the job promotion you did achieve uh the college of your dream you, you know to hit the stove in that manner too but i started to focus on people that are stuck because those are the ones that are, are wasting time in life and all we have is time and that's how I looked at it. You don't want to spend five years trying to get over something. Right. Or 10 years trying to yeah. – you know what I mean? Like you just don't. You, you, your clock's ticking. We're all ticking. So that was how it started. But it's also a great celebratory way. We all know that. That's what the holidays are all about. Sure. We're and heading to the holidays. And you have to eat every day. So right. Might as well, exactly. You know, might as like, well get something from and, it. Right? And, and feel trampolined about it, you yeah. know? Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Well, uh, you know, I think that that's, that's – great. I look forward to look forward to the book. And, and I cool. think that the, the, the discussing – cooking in that way. I mean, we talk a lot about top chefs and special recipes and special ingredients and all that stuff. Right. But the the idea that really the cooking is also about you or about, you know, about yourself, about the inside and about how it makes you feel and right. about being able to ground yourself through that, I think is super important. It, it's feel good. That's really what I mean. You want people to feel, I always wanted people to feel good when they ate my food. I always wanted people to feel good about themselves when they try to go cook a recipe of mine. You know, so it's passing the love forward. Yeah. What good is it to keep it all to yourself, right? Well, that's great. Uh, well, thank you. We're, we're out of time here today. Thank you. Feast your ears. But if you want to know more about um, Franco and his wild rice griddle cakes, his book, and things like that, you can find him online at francolanya.com. Excellent. Uh, we'll put a link in the show page. And thank you uh, for listening today to Feast Your Ears. A big thank you to Kristen Baylor, my producer, uh, to Jack Inslee for engineering the show today. And take a moment to like the show and Heritage Radio on Facebook and iTunes. And if you really like this show and you like listening to Feast Your Ears every Wednesday, or even if you don't listen to this show every <laughs> Wednesday, uh, but if you listen to other shows here on Heritage uh, Radio Network, Heritage is a 501c3 uh, nonprofit, and we're coming up on the end of the year. And, uh, you know, if you do enjoy this, please consider going to the website and clicking on the beating heart on the website and, you know, give us uh, a little change, a hundred dollar bill, make a thousand bucks, whatever, whatever you got, whatever it's worth to you. Uh, that would be great. Thanks very much. It's cool. You Thank week. you, Harry. Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.